let me encourage you to be sure you get your copy of this. Uh, you can read the Constitution in about 13, 14, 15 minutes if you're a slow reader. And one of the things that troubles me on all of the channels, Fox, MSNBC, all of them, I hear them say, well, the Constitution says, and it doesn't say any such thing. They're making it up. How do you ever pledge allegiance to the flag if you've never read the U.S. Constitution? Because you realize what the pledge says? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the, what's the next word? Republic. Only one document defines the republic. Just one. This is what you are pledging. Don't be pledging what you've never read. That's why I encourage you. I thank the church for getting this. We have a book in the back, 10 Things Every Christian Should Know about the United States Constitution. If there was ever an hour where we need to read that document and clearly understand exactly what it plainly says, it's this hour. If you have your Bibles, they've already mentioned the scripture, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. By the way, here we are celebrating 245 years coming up this next week. And you know what's so amazing? We've had the same declaration for 245 years. Now what's surprising about that is worldwide, the average country has only had their documents 17 years. Because they keep changing it and changing it and changing it. As the values of that nation change, they just keep reiterating the documents and changing them. But we've had ours now going on 245 years. Something incredibly special. I was invited to address the Philippine Bar Association. I had tried numerous lawsuits in the Philippines so that their churches and their people could have Christian schools. And ended up arguing before the Supreme Court in that land several times. And the chairman, the chief justice of the Philippine Supreme Court said, I want you to come and address our whole bar association. He said, once a year, all the lawyers have to come into Manila and I want you to come and address them. And he said, I'll give you about an hour. And I said, boy, that is a long ride for an hour. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to the Philippines, but I mean, it's 15, 16 hours of airplane time. But he just kept asking and just such a gracious gentleman. And finally I said, I'll go. Little did I know that that trip was gonna change my life. It'll be something I'll never forget. We flew the 15 hours, we're getting off our airplane. It's about 11 o'clock at night. And as we're walking down the terminal concourse there, all of a sudden I hear what I think are firecrackers. I thought, boy, it's a strange hour to be setting off all those firecrackers. It wasn't firecrackers, it was gunfire. We were the last plane in before the revolution took place. The Yellow Revolution, they called it, the Cory Aquino Revolution. And all of a sudden, here came all these soldiers and people running around with guns, and they were killing people. Now, never before in my life, other than on a video or a screen, had I ever seen somebody take a gun and just kill somebody. Well, you may have an idea what you'll do, but when you watch 
all the mores of society dissolve around you. When you watch everything that you just take for granted, that there will be peace. Whoa. A man ran up to us and he said, give me your passports. And the guy standing two over from us, he said, I'm not giving you mine. Bang, they shot him in the head, dead. I said, here's mine. <laughs> oh, listen. You don't understand what happens when freedoms just disappear. Suddenly they said, what are you doing here? What are you doing in the Philippines? I said, well, I'm here to speak to the Philippine Bar Association. I thought, boy, I'll be okay. I have this letter here in my briefcase from the Chief Justice. And I said, here, read this letter. He invited me, I'm here to speak to him. He said, is the Chief Justice a friend of yours? I said, yeah, we're real close, right? He said, well, we just hung him. I said, we're not that good of friends. No, 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 no. I hardly knew the man. I said, you hung him? He said, we did. And all of a sudden, one of these soldiers stepped up and said, you're on your own. What are you going to do when the laws that you're counting on have dissolved. They took me off to a Philippine jail. I can tell you this, they grow the biggest cockroaches I've ever seen. And finally they put us up in a, a hotel and they said, you talk to anybody, we'll kill you. You try to make a phone call, you're dead. And I'm like, what is happening? How can this civilized country just be dissolved into this chaos? I was sitting on a bench praying one morning and a man came up and sat down behind me and he said, don't turn around. He said, I know you, you don't know me. He said, you're David Gibbs and you came and spoke at our church once. I support your ministry. And he said, I'm a 747 captain for Northwest Orient. And he said, they don't know it, but they have the chairman of the board locked up here. And we're going to be getting him out. And we'll help get you out. Three days later, after a lot of chaos, they got me out. Immediately jumped on an airplane and they took that 747 under cover of night with other airplanes chasing it. And they went to Tokyo. I got off the airplane in Tokyo and I said, I don't have any documents, I have nothing. They have my wallet, my passport, everything, my briefcase. They said, here, take your picture, we'll give you a passport, you're on your way home. Then I took the flight to San Francisco. And you can't imagine what it is like to set foot back on America, on America. Oh, I'd set foot on it many a time coming in from out of seas, but not like that day. Dear God, thank you for America. Thank you for what we have here and what we cherish and what we hold dear. Thank you, thank you. While I was captive there, a pastor was in jail, one cell over from me. And I said, what's going on? 
He said, we don't know what's right and wrong anymore. He said, it's every man making it up in his own eyes. And stuff that was wrong is now right, and stuff that was right is now wrong. And he said, when all of that starts, he said, I'll tell you what happens. The most brutal begin to rule. And he says, suddenly what you think can never be taken away in an instant is gone. I love the Filipino people, and thankfully that rebellion was quelled. I've been back many times since. But as I set foot on America that day, do we realize what we have here? The rights that let you walk in here today with no fret of reprisal. No one taking your picture wanting to incarcerate you. No one wanting to take away everything we hold precious and dear. Listen very carefully to what our founders said. I love George Washington's words. And now they want to discredit this man, which is shameful. George Washington said it would be impossible, and he said, and I repeat, impossible to govern rightly without God in the Bible. He made that statement over 100 times while they were working to draft the Declaration. People would go to the Continental Congress and they would say, point out which one is Washington. They'd say, he's the tall fellow who's always on his knees praying. And that was his mark. You cannot govern without God in the Bible. John Adams, our fourth president, it would be impossible to govern without God in the Ten Commandments. Do you realize to this day, when you go in the Supreme Court of the United States, in order to get in there, you have to walk past the Ten Commandments four times. As you walk in, they're in the marble in the floor. Then you walk in and they're on the door. Then you walk in and they're on the wall. But that's not enough. They're on the Chief Justice's chairs. Because everybody understood the Ten Commandments were the base work of everything for America. In 1620, the Pilgrims with the Mayflower Compact, they said, here we're here to advance the enlargement of the Christian religion to the glory of Almighty God. That compact was used around the world and was the formation that our founders kept referring to. Andrew Jackson, our seventh president, said, the Bible is the rock upon which our republic stands. He said, put that on my tombstone, and they did. Do we understand, absent the Word of God, absent the Ten Commandments, all we have are your ideas, my ideas, everybody's ideas, and what makes yours any more right than mine? Absolutely nothing. But that wasn't America. America had a bedrock. I love what Patrick Henry said. It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not by religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. His statement was taken by Ben Franklin. And he said, you want to understand what America's about? He said, here it is. And he would quote Patrick Henry all over England, all over France, all over Spain, all over the world. 
because they said this is the difference the Word of God in Christians when our founders got together every one of them had a Bible there and those Bibles when you read the records were looked to often and I love what Francis Scott Key who wrote our national anthem our national song we sing and by the way he was a lawyer now, there are some lawyers who do some good things okay <laughs> if you read the fourth verse listen carefully he penned these words praise the power that hath made and preserved us a nation then conquer we must when our cause is just and this be our motto in god is our trust when they wrote the declaration listen to the last sentence for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance upon the protection of the divine providence we mutually pledge to each other our lives our fortunes and our sacred honor many said we should take lives off of there are you saying we're literally going to give up everything including our breath and they said if god's doing it we must so it stayed in and all 50 signed it our lives our fortunes our sacred honor that is what founded america now suddenly we're living in an unusual day how many of you are seeing things in america you never imagined you'd see in your lifetime hold your hand up i understand me too suddenly things like abortion have just come off the rails i mean they're not just wanting to abort we are aborting by record just under a million babies a year a million wow and those are the ones that are recorded they say it's entirely possible that half to double that number are not recorded a million a year but now suddenly it's wanting to take it where we want after birth abortion where a child can be born and then the parent can decide whether to abort that child and that's gaining massive massive support abortion is off the rails what about the issue of gender exploration we're having parents we get this call virtually every day at our ministry a parent, a teacher is being told, if you don't encourage children to explore their gender, maybe they're a boy, maybe they're a girl, maybe they're both, maybe they're none. And if you don't encourage gender exploration, that's child abuse. How many of you think that's borderline? Well, not borderline, it is insanity. How many of you agree with that? Whoa. We have teachers just dealt with one in Florida, a gentleman, been a teacher for 30 years. He's a phys ed teacher, and he's being told, you gotta, you gotta put boys in the girls and girls in the boys shower room at the same time. Now, if I had gone into the girls shower room when I was in school, I wouldn't be standing here now. <laughs> the teachers would have killed me and then they'd have drugged my corpse home and my dad would have killed me again. That's insanity. They're doing it with women phys ed teachers. And they're saying, how dare you tell children, and this is coming back at us, that the only way to get to heaven is by Jesus Christ. How many believe that's what the Bible teaches? None comes, none comes. 
But now they're saying that's child abuse. And these are their words. How dare you threaten a child with the displeasure of deity? We're getting that call daily. Strange, strange things are happening. But God gives us a promise that I want you to look at this morning. While things have come off the rails, my God still sits on the throne. And my God is still all-powerful. Listen to what he said to Solomon's 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. That word heal there, that's a critical word. It was the word for taking two things and pulling them together. It was to take, if you'd rip something and you wanted to put it back together, it was called healing. They used this word. God says, I can heal the mess. I will heal your land. But the key here is God's people. The fate of a nation does not rest with the infidel. The fate of a nation does not rest with the heathen. The fate of a nation does not rest with what we face. The fate of a nation rests with God's people and the power of the God we serve. He said, if my people, which are called by my name. Now you say, well, exactly who are these people? Well, I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Titus. Turn in the back to the book of Titus. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, I want you to read with me at verse 11. Let's find out exactly who God's people are. I have quoted this verse in many, many legislative chambers. And I've had so many people walk up to me and say, I'm a Christian, but I never read those verses. Listen carefully to what it says. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us, now here's the key. Denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. If my people, is that us? Now he says, if these people will, number one, humble themselves. Go back to Second Chronicles again. I want you to mark those scriptures. That word humble is a key. God hates pride. God hates pride, and he hates it in his own people. Twice in the scriptures, twice in the scriptures, God said that he resisteth the proud, and he wasn't talking to the world, he was talking to the Christians. Do you understand, if we have pride, then God says, I'm against you. Now, no man, no woman in their right mind wants to leave here with God against us. But that's the key. Will we humble ourselves? Humble ourselves means, God, we can't do this without you. Jesus said, without me, ye can do nothing. 
I'm so thankful for these wonderful public servants who've come today. And what an incredibly difficult task they have. But the simple fact of the matter, doesn't matter how gifted they are, doesn't matter how intellectually keen they are, absent God, they can't do it. We have to humble ourselves. Well, Brother Gibbs, let me tell you how I look at it. Man, the next election, if we just get our act together, if we just get everybody to vote, we'll set this thing. You're still talking like we can do it. Humble yourself. God, we can't without you. God, we have to have your anointing, your help. I'll never forget, I was in a courtroom and it wasn't going good. And you can always tell in a courtroom when the jury doesn't like you because they keep shaking their head at you. They look at you and they go, hmm. And boy, after you've had that for five or six hours, that gets discouraging. And I was walking out of the courtroom and a lady walked up to me and she said, uh, I've known you a long time and I thought you were a much better lawyer than this. And I said, well, I thought I was too. <laughs> and as I walked off, my law partner, Charlie Craze, was there. And he said, you may tell the problem, it's you and me, David. We have not humbled ourselves. We've done so much of this, we think we can do it. We've done so many trials, so many cases, we have so much experience, so much expertise, and suddenly that's what we're banking on. We better get humble and tell God we're in over our heads. When's the last time you bowed and said, God, we're in over our heads? Humble yourself. Now notice he doesn't start with prayer. He starts with humility, getting on our knees and being humble. If anything good is gonna happen in this service today, oh my, how the choir blessed my heart and all these precious soldiers, and if that doesn't stir you, something's terribly wrong. But the key, if we're gonna change our land, if we're gonna see God do something, we gotta say, God, forgive me of my pride, of my pride. I see these people pop up on the media with all their ideas of what America should do and where it should go. And all of a sudden, something just wells up in me. I'm back, so I was, man, I'm glad I'm not like you. Stop it. But for the grace of God, you'd be just like that. Humble yourself and say, God, I got to have you touch what I'm doing. You got to touch our nation. I've been telling people nationwide for two years now, the only hope we have is the gospel in the local church, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our founders recognized they could never make this happen, but for God, they said it. I love when it happened, when our foundation was founded, they went to the kings and the rulers of South America, and they said, what's the difference between you and America? And they said, oh, it's real simple. We were founded for gold, you were founded for God. What a difference. That was our founding. But now it's our turn to repurpose it. It's our turn to stand up and go back to that founding. And God, we are going to humble ourselves. I remember in that hallway of that courthouse getting on my knees with Charlie Craze. 
And he prayed and I prayed. And, and we said, God, forgive us. The problem in that courtroom is not the other side. The problem in that courtroom is us. Forgive us of our pride. We walked back after that break and the judge stood up and he said, I want to make a ruling here. And I thought, oh boy, this isn't good. Nobody's asked for a ruling yet. And he said, I want to make a ruling here. I've been listening to all of this and over the break I felt led to rule in favor of this church. And I said, wow, all right. I haven't said a word yet. And then he said, these lawyers have not explained it very well. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you could have left that part out. <laughs> Listen, do you want to see what you can do? Or do you want to see what God can do? I believe the Lord's coming soon. How many of you believe that? But if he doesn't come another 50 years, no man knows the hour. What are our grandkids, what are our great-grandchildren going to be living with? How many of you have children? Hold your hand up. Yeah. How many of you love them more than you could ever say? How many of you want to kill them on occasion? Right. Okay. <laughs> hello, hello. What are we leaving them? And how did we lose what was left to us? What, what these men on this platform gave their lives for when they took an oath to defend the Constitution. Oh, listen, God moves when God's people humble themselves. Now, the world says, whoa, 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 don't start talking that way. You gotta act large and in charge. You gotta have this positive mental attitude. You gotta say, we can, we can, we can. And let me just tell you something, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, absent him, we're helpless. But with him, we're more than conquerors. But it starts with us humbling. People come to me all the time and say, what can I do for America? And my next question is, how good are you at getting small? They say, what? How good are you at getting small? They say, what do you mean, humbling yourself? Oh, listen, God says humility is where the power starts. And humility is key if you're going to see God's power. I love what our founders said. Patrick Kenny rejoiced it many times. He said, this fight is impossible. We all know it. But not with our God, only with us. The first key is to humble yourself. By the way, have you humbled yourself in front of your kids? If you have kids, how many of you know kids are God's little spies? How many of you are aware of that one? And grandchildren are super spies. Have they ever heard you pray for America and get small? And say, God, the hope is not me, the hope is you. Humble yourself. Look at the second thing he says, called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, and pray. Now the word prayer there was the word for praying with intense purpose. It wasn't just the word for mouthing a prayer. Everybody in this room, if you've gone to church any length of time, you know by heart prayers you can recite. 
Have you ever sat down at the dinner table and you say, okay, pray. Well, we just pray the same prayer because we know it. That's not this word. God says, I want you to talk to me and tell me what you want. Ask and ye shall receive. Ask. And he says, you have not because you ask not. Isn't it amazing? We got time to watch some news program for an hour, read some magazine or some internet material by the hour, and we've got no time to pray. And get specific with God. God says there's two keys to asking. Number one, you got to ask. But then he says, and you're not going to have it if you don't ask. When I, when I meet politicians and what wonderful folks, boy, their job is difficult. I always ask them, well, what are you asking God for? Tell me what's on your ask list. There's no politician worth a vote if they're not asking God for something. By the way, there's no preacher worth his salt if he's not asking God for something. But I'm not worth my salt if I'm not asking. Humble themselves and pray. But James then warns us, he said, be careful that you're not asking amiss, that you may consume it on your own lust. God, all I want is a good life. Just make it where the stock market keeps soaring. Make it where the powerful ones, make it where we're the wealthiest nation on the planet. That's all selfish stuff. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great London preacher in the 1800s, he said, Christianity can survive anything but prosperity. He said, when a nation gets prosperous, suddenly the Christians, they want prosperity more than they want God. And he said, if England stays fervent for God, it'll be the first nation in history, and they didn't. And now it's us. Prosperity is not what it's about. And I'm thankful, how, how can you not love all the blessings we have here? All the food, all the incredible, 60% uh, of the world, their dream is to own a bicycle, and they'll never get one. And we can't live without two automobiles. And all of a sudden, we, we have all this wonderful food. How many of you are thankful for the food we're gonna get today, just today? By the way, if you're not Push your part over to me, I'll take care of it. <laughs> oh yeah, we are so blessed. But God, what we want more than anything are this nation to be righteous. Now if you're only gonna hear one thing, the Bible said righteousness exalteth a nation and sin is a reproach to any people. What are we pushing for? Would we be willing to give up all our prosperity if we could be righteous? That's the key. What are we asking for? Humble yourself, get small. Pray, pray. I can remember my mom locked in a wheelchair praying. She got polio, could never walk again. But boy, could she pray for the nation. Are the kids hearing your prayers? Is your maid hearing your prayers? He says, number one, I want you to humble yourselves. Then I want you to pray. And then look at the next one and seek my face. We're almost done. Seek my face means you want him. You want him. My granddaughter jumped on my lap. And she's wonderful. She's just cute as a button. 
and real talkative. Uh, carrying on a conversation with her is so simple. Uh, she'll just sit there and she'll just be jabbering away. And if about every five minutes you say, hmm, how about that? She's good for another five minutes. She just <laughs> chats away, so cute. Well, somehow I got distracted and she's jabbering away and five minutes went by and I'm looking off and I'm not paying attention. And you know what she did? That little girl reached up and grabbed my face and pulled me over. And she said, I'm over here. Would you please stay with me? You know what God's saying? Would you please stay with me? Or do you just want to use them? God, I'll let you know when I want you. Have you ever seen kids that are real selfish with relatives, an aunt, an uncle, a, grand, a parent? Boy, when they want something, they're Johnny on the spot. They're there. But the minute they got what they want, they're gone. Because they don't want that person. They want what they can get. Is that what we're doing with God? Or do you really want God to be pleased? with America? Do you want God to be pleased with our lives? God to be pleased with our efforts? Seek my face. My prayer when we walk in and out of courtrooms, when we go to legislatures is, God, I want to seek your face. I want to know that heaven is well pleased, that you're smiling and will say, well done. These precious public servants here, every single day, they need God to say, well done. Well done. Good and faithful. Well done. Seek his face. Called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And then please look at the last one. Turn from their wicked ways. What sin have you got in your life that nobody knows about? What's in it mind? You say, well, David, you can go right on because I'm perfect. Well, now I know you're not because you're lying. None of us are perfect. You see, if you knew me like God knows me, you'd say, Brother Gibbs, you got stuff to get right, and you're right. If I knew you like God knows you, every one of us has stuff that we're just thankful Nobody on the web has picked it up yet. Nobody knows the secret sins of the heart. And God says, I want you to get clean. Not cleaner, clean. When is the last time with God you got clean? I've often said I've gone to the altar many times to get cleaner, but rarely to get clean. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from, who knows the next word, all unrighteousness. If you leave here not clean, it's by your choice. And God says, don't you be looking for my voice. Don't be looking for me to do something. My command is that you turn from your wicked ways. Whoa. I promise you right now, we're focused on all the crazy stuff happening out there and 
the absurd comments being made and how values are being turned upside down and how suddenly they, they want to make the Bible as if it's a book of fairy tales or something. Nothing could be further from the truth. But the God you serve can fix that. But we got to humble ourselves. We got to pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways. Then God says, I'll forgive your sin and will heal your land. How many of you want to see what God can do where he heals a land? That's how we got America. By the way, this verse was repeated repetitively when they were drafting the Declaration and when they did the Constitution. They kept going to these points, and now we need to come back to them. My brother-in-law is a, an Air Force B-52 captain. And one day we were together, and he said, uh, one of my men in my B-52 recorded something. I thought you might want to hear it. He didn't know it was being recorded. They had been they were stationed in Guam. He's flown over 500 combat missions. 500 times he's put his B-52 at risk. But they were sent up Christmas Eve. And he said, my squadron, which was seven planes, and we went up, and we were sent to a holding area where we refueled. And then he said, other squadrons started showing up, and pretty soon, he said, we had an armada of, of 50 B-52s. Now he said, you cannot fathom, with the bomb load we carry, the destruction that is in that armada. Now they said, we're gonna put you in order and of all things, his squadron was picked to be the lead group. And since he's the leader of his squadron, his plane is in front and behind him are 50 B-52s lining up. And their orders were to go to this waypoint and you'll get your next instruction. And you're gonna make a major bombing in North Vietnam on Christmas morning. Everybody said, boy, this gotta be serious. My brother-in-law said, I've never seen this number of planes. Well, finally they got to the next point and they said, you're going to bomb downtown Hanoi. The most heavily guarded, the most heavily fortified city on planet Earth. You're going in. Immediately, one of the men on the tape said, the chance of our surviving that is not good. We're the lead. There's 2,000 SAMs that can bring us down, 2,000 of them. Wow. Then he got the next communique. He said, normally we do those bombing runs at 40 to 45,000 feet. They said, you're going in at 10,000. So that you don't needlessly kill civilians. They would put all these missiles around hospitals and schools and they said, we want you at 10,000 feet. My brother-in-law immediately radioed back and said, confirm that, that can't be correct. They came back and said, no, it's correct. 
Now these men turned to each other and said, well, this will be it. They talked to each other and said, since these are probably our last breaths, if one of us makes it out alive, tell my loved ones that I did my duty. Finally, the radar man said, they're pinging us. They know we're here. Here we are 20 minutes out and they've got locks on us. And he said, there's so many radars attached to us, I can't count them. We're not gonna get hit with a missile. We're gonna be barraged. My brother-in-law said, I'm going to take it off autopilot because when we get hit, I don't want to lose control. As long as I can do it, we're going to do our duty. And then the men said, Colonel, it's been a pleasure to serve. And then they all prayed, one at a time. If you were in that plane, what would you pray? What words would come from you if you truly believed, and they did believe this was it? What words would come from you? Oh, God, make the stock market go up? I don't think so. Oh, God, let us win the next election? I don't think so. They started praying, thanking God for saving them and for the privilege to serve and for America. And in very quiet tones, they sang, God bless America. The missiles started coming. Two of them went through his plane and never detonated. Went in one side, not the other. Of the airplanes with them, the other B-52s and his squadron five went down. but they did their duty. That's America. Now, here's our duty. Humble yourself. Pray. Seek his face. And turn from our wicked ways. That's God's duty for us. My brother-in-law is the most quiet, meek, mild man I've ever met. But he did his duty. Now it's my turn. Now it's your turn. Do we love America enough to want God to touch it, to activate this promise? My people, the people who are righteous and godly, if my people humble themselves, lay down our pride. God, I can't, but you can. Humble ourselves and pray specifically.
of America. But now it's our turn to do our duty. Bow your heads in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for everything. What a privilege to be your child. Your word says we don't own ourselves, we belong to you. We've been bought with a price. And God, by your grace, by your power, we want to be exactly what you've called us to be. We need heaven to touch our land, to heal our land, to bring it together for what is right. Heads are bowed. How many of you say, David, God spoke to my heart this morning. God helping me, I want to do my duty. I want to obey that scripture, that command of God, not authored by me, but authored by God. My heart's been touched this morning. God helping me, I want to do my duty under that verse. If that's true, hold your hand up right now. Hold your hand high. Hold them high. God bless you. Father, you see our hands. Far more importantly, you see our hearts. And God, as we open this altar, may we realize no one does what's right when they leave if we don't do what's right when you talk to a heart. Hear our cry now, in Jesus' name I pray. And all God's children together said, Amen, Amen. I'm going to ask them to play the piano and sing. Would you, if you raised your hand, just step out and make your way to an altar? It's the only hope America has, the only hope. If you raised your hand and you say, I meant it, God spoke to my heart, and I want you to get out from where you're seated. What would someone think? Don't you worry what someone thinks. If they're right with God, they'll be right there with you because they'll want what you want. Oh, my friend, nothing can make a difference if we can't get God involved in healing our land. Listen to this song, Step Out and Come. I didn't raise my hand, but I should have, David. You come right now, too. Let's all stand together as we sing this. You make your way to this altar. This service will be over in mere moments, mere moments. Nothing but nothing can change if we can't get God in the picture. Sing if you would, please. God spoke to my heart. You come, my friend. Doesn't matter who you are or where you are. your eyes closed. During the revolutionary period when George Washington was leading the troops, every week he brought preachers out to preach to the soldiers. And he always asked them to preach Psalm 1 and to be sure and give a gospel, a soul-winning message. Because he said, I don't want anybody to die for America that's not ready to die. And he said, it's critical that they know Jesus Christ is their Savior. When they drafted the declaration, the last comments were, let's be sure, everyone signing this document knows Christ personally. You see, everybody understands one thing, life is short. 
Everybody in this room is one day closer to eternity than they've ever been before. I hope you live a long time, I hope I do too, but boy, it goes by in a flash. The Bible calls it a vapor, here and then gone. And then eternity. Are you ready to meet God? Are you ready to stand face to face? He paid for your sins, he sent his only son. He died on that cross, not for what he did wrong, he died for what I did wrong, for what you did wrong. And all you have to do is accept the payment the Son of God made to have your sins forgiven. David, I'm not sure that heaven is my home, but I want it to be. I'll not embarrass you, but would you let us pray for you? If at five o'clock today I was gonna be in eternity, I'm not sure where I'll be. You can be sure with certainty based on the Word of God that you'd be in heaven. David, pray for me, I want that. Slip your hand up just right wherever you are. Slip it up high enough for us to see it. I see one back there, anyone else? Anyone else, please let me see your hand. I just wanna pray for you. Father, I pray for these precious folks. If there's someone here who for any reason didn't raise their hand, God, don't let them leave here without Christ. It's the most important thing in all the world. It makes us your child. And God, as we're ready to leave now, may we by your grace, by your power, humble ourselves. We can do nothing without you. May we pray fervently. May we seek your face. We want you, not just what you can give us, we want you. And let us turn from our wicked ways. Father, please, we need you to heal our land. We need to hear from heaven. And you've promised you will. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. And all of us together say, amen, amen. If you're standing next to somebody, I want you to turn to them and say, the devil better watch out. My God's going to get in this. Tell them, the devil better watch out. My God's going to get in this. Yeah. Now turn back to that neighbor and say, you better watch out because I'm going to be praying. <laughs> Tell him, you better watch out because I'm going to be praying. Oh, listen, I love what this church does. I love